Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Prosperous Sunday Meeting. The Prosperous is a school of self-transcendence. We draw a straight line from the most ancient mystical insights about the nature of God and man to the latest scientific breakthroughs about the nature of reality. Today, we're fortunate to have as our speaker, Al Haberkamp. Al has been a Prosperous member since 1972. He has served the school as an instructor and counseling mentor, and has just completed 12 years of service as Dean. Al lives in Woodland Hills, a suburb of Los Angeles, California. For several years, he has instructed senior citizens in the internal arts of Tai Chi, and Qi Gong. The topic of Al's talk today is Holiest Day. All righty, Al, take it away. Thanks, Ben. And again, welcome everybody to the, to the meeting. Here we are counting down to the Judeo-Christian high watermark of the winter, Christmas time, next Saturday. I, uh, Want to let's shout out a little thank you to Rebecca Andrews, who Heather and I, of course, recall from Mount Shasta, California, when she was with the study group there when she was a teenager, and I she occasionally makes some really pleasant posts on on Facebook, which I scan from time to time, and she put up a post that I thought was a you know very nice one where it said it basically was saying that. I'm saying happy holidays to you because not because I have anything against Christmas or anything like that, but rather this as a, as a gesture of respect for whatever holiday you may be celebrating according to your, your religious preference. And uh, I, I, I don't know how it's vetted. I'm sure it's probably the case to, and you could Google it. There are at least 14 major holidays, you know, spread across these last couple of months of the year that people of one religious preference or another are uh, observing. So I thought that was very thoughtful. Uh, so there are at least 14 instances of perhaps someone uh, in a different um, type of spiritual school or, or religion is having uh, their holiest day on, uh, on, their, on, their, on their special day. So, We'll take a look at that as we as we go into the talk here. But uh, so happy holidays, everybody, <laughs> and merry whatever. Again, not an attack on Christmas. I mean, when you when you're on Facebook, I mean, you have to be careful because so many things that appear there as posts are seem to be an attack on something. And it's very easy to get attacked on Facebook. It's even pretty easy to get attacked by Facebook. Just ask Ben Gilberti, <laughs> who's been kicked off the service a few times for saying the most innocuous things. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we're, we're living in a time of, uh, of to, say, to say it's a time of strife and complexity and confusion is a woeful understatement. There are forces at work here that are having major changes on our lives. Uh, they are uh, causing people individually 
a lot of stress, a lot of uh, personal troubles. And of course, socially, uh, we're having to deal with some of the greatest challenges to our collective community that we have seen in, in a while. And I'm not dismissing the ongoing threats that we represent to each other in terms of um, our nuclear buildup, our nuclear accidents, and our, our woeful inability to seem to come to terms with uh, our need to respond to messages coming from our environment about climate change and things like that, that uh, I'm getting harder and harder to find somebody that thinks it's just a hoax, uh, unless they're running for office and then they'll say anything, right? But uh, it's a time of, of, of great strife, there's no doubt about it. Uh, and it's a time when there's a, there's a great deal of divisiveness and a great deal of, of uh, attacks, verbal, physical, and otherwise, on each other. We have a tremendous amount of information we're trying to process and a tremendous amount of misinformation. It's finding its way through our media, social networks and commercial networks and trying to sort that out. Not only, not only the fact that it is out there, but that it's out there in such great quantity as though somehow in our constitution's language, our, our, in the first amendment about freedom of speech, somehow we've gotten the idea that that freedom of speech includes the legal right to go out and purposely try to deceive people. Which we've seen from whichever side of the political aisle you're standing, doesn't really have to do necessarily with politics as such, but in any number of ways we're seeing people who assume that it's okay to try and deceive people. The only time it's, uh, you know, detrimental is if you get caught. So we're dealing with a lot of that in our world today. And as we Judeo-Christians come down to Christmas time and others to their holidays, it's a, it's a sobering kind of time, especially for us here in the United States who are really not used to this kind of thing at all. There are some people here who've had enough experience with different governments in different countries that uh, have been through a lot of this. I'm sure Bulan has been through a lot of stuff in Istanbul and Turkey that uh, we were just kids at trying to understand, uh, including of course the, the pandemic and what that's asking of us individually and collectively. And even that's getting attacked as being a hoax. But it's heartbreaking to listen to a nurse who's holding a patient in her arms as the patient dies, still saying to her that she's being killed by a hoax. It's just, uh, can't, I can't imagine what it's like to be a nurse in this country in this day and this time and having, having to put up with this kind of amazing resistance to, to health that so many people are experiencing and making it extremely difficult to be a doctor or a first, first line responder. There is so much that we're trying to sort out in terms of the information that we have, we have trouble trying to simplify the overload. 
So we try and use our mind's filters to break down all the stuff that's coming into us all the time. So Carl Jung made the statement, which is telling here though, Carl Jung mentioned that he said that the pendulum of the mind oscillates between sense and nonsense, not between right and wrong. And that certainly does apply, I think, to the way we use our filters, the filters of our mind to try and sort out and simplify the massive amounts of information and, of course, disinformation that we are confronted with every day, all the time. Our filters are not objective, however. They don't filter between objectively right and objectively wrong. They filter how well the information coming into us lines up with our own self-existing biases of thought or feeling or belief. With the global network bombarding us all the time with opinions, data, and of course, carefully planned manipulations, which are coming more and more to the forefront in terms of our being aware of them. You can't, or at least most people can't, really make practical sense of it all using, using like the shortcuts you almost have to use because of the speed and, and amount of information we're trying to process. So we have a lot of rampant and blind tribalism on social media networks, adding to the confusion and the uncertainty. Because refusal to take shortcuts can, take, can leave you in a state of confusion and uncertainty about where you are in all of this. But an answer to the kinds of confusion and I think to the divisiveness that we experience socially and just in relationships, the answer to this state of confusion and uncertainty or answering experiences can be found in the study of ontology which we as a school, not only a school, but a school wanting to be responsible responders in this day and age are trying to pay attention to. So we believe that the study of ontology has, has answering experiences available in it. We suggest that the answer to the state of uncertainty and the emotional insecurity that comes with it is to create filters based on proven principle. To create filters based on principle to the best of our ability. And to see the network as a whole, instead of assuming that information has been filtered for right or wrong just because we have an emotional attachment to an idea, because it makes us feel secure. Rather, it is to ask the hard questions from a point of view that is principled. Principled right in the midst of the even possibly very attractive uncertainty or emotional insecurity of the information flooding our system. You know, we were working with this idea just last week when we were in the, in the Enhanced Crown Mysteries presentation, trying to understand the, the need for a, objective filters based on principle in order to release the creative potential 
inside of us without it being skewed by long held beliefs or emotional attachments. We were just talking about uh, Venus going retrograde in Capricorn starting today for a little, about 39, I guess, or 40 days, something like that, isn't it, William? Uh, it'll be retrograde before coming out in late January. And Venus being that planet which uh, aligns with what we desire, what we hold valuable, what we want in a, in a, in a you know, very involved emotional kind of way. Uh, moving retrograde, kind of like Mercury retrograde, it's a good time to look into and investigate your inner feelings, your own constructs about what you really desire in life, what you want to have happen and why. Take a close look at those. And then the fact that it's going through Capricorn at, during this retrograde, it's been suggested that this is, a, this is a time when Venus retrograde in Capricorn is going to be the place where you evaluate, plan, put together methods and procedures for going out and getting what you want, getting what you have come to the conclusion that you desire. Also lurking in this little crucible of, of transits though is Pluto, which has been in Capricorn, of course, since 2008. And someday, God help us, we'll be gone from Capricorn <laughs> if we can just hold together until that time. But Pluto and Capricorn has different kinds of ideas than just you asking yourself, what do you really want? Let's go find out a way to get it. Pluto wants to know what you really want. And is going to cause, it's going to, even if it has to upset your best plans or upset all of the current tea kettle of your desire, your Venus desires and plans, in order to get at the truth, that deep fundamental truth in your psyche about what do you really want? What are you really trying to get at? That's the nature of Pluto, the planet of deep diving, regeneration, death of previous forms as necessary to get at the regeneration at the deepest parts of the psyche. So this is the time we find ourselves in here in December, 2021, looking toward new year, kind of figuring out how we're gonna make our new resolutions and how we're gonna move forward. You can, you can reject or ignore anything that doesn't suit your existing narrative, and we all suffer. Or you can willingly embrace the temporary confusion, temporary uncertainty, and even the temporary upending caused by the forces of Pluto to find out what's really going on at your deepest belief level so you can create a more principled model of the world to work with. So that you can create something that's, that's based on proven truth. Establishing a principal point of view involves re-identifying to the best of your ability, investigating your desires, translating them, RHSing them, so that we arrive at the point of re-identification, establishing identity, an identity by which and with which and in which we can evaluate arguments being made, 
on social media, arguments being made with people we have relationships with, our discussions, our, our exchange of information back and forth, our working together to include each other in the healthiest way so that we can experience our relationships as much as possible as ones of love, kindness, caring, and compassion. By establishing truth in your consciousness as the identity from which you operate on whatever information or input is coming to you. Now we have to do this in the abstract. You can't do it from, third, from the third world dimension. We have to do it in the abstract because your consciousness illuminated by your words, which are abstract and which are what the experience is constituted of that we're talking about. So in Enhanced Crown Mysteries, we spent some time going over the idea that what you're after here is understanding yourself as not as material, not as dimensional, not as limited in that way, but rather knowing yourself as a formless force, knowing yourself as thought, not only this thought, but the capacity to create and govern thought. So your thought, for indeed, whatever we call ourselves or whatever we want to identify ourselves as, it's a thought in our consciousness. It's a thought in our consciousness. So this re-identification to clarify your own filters so that you can properly evaluate your world, the information that's coming to you, attain an ascendant intimacy in relationships that you desire to have. Approaching it from an abstract point of view is necessary because you are not material. You are not stuff. You are formless force. Assuming an identity as truth implies the inescapable reality of you or anyone. It implies a point around which mind cannot get. It implies a point of truth, that which is so. That's your starting point, which you know with certainty, which you know with conviction. Prosperous, or in the study of ontology, whether it's the Prosperous or another ontology school, the study of ontology contends that the reality of anyone or the reality of anything, for that matter, that we say is in our world, the reality of anyone or anything is being, beingness beingness. Now you may label yourself in many ways. All the things, all the names we use for ourselves, the words we use to describe what seems to be a physical appearance, names, birthplaces and dates, family members, jobs, desires, wishes, hopes, dreams, all the way we just label ourselves can run to great length. But under and back of all of those is being. You must be in order to express anything about yourself. And beingness 
is not limited. Beingness is not confined or restricted in some sort of dimensional way. Beingness, isness, existingness is continuous. Beingness has always been, so it's timeless, beginningless and endless and formless. You must be in order to express anything about yourself or express anything at all. Beingness, which is changeless and unlike the other labels, changeless, like, unlike the other labels, and you may identify with them because they, but they will come and go. You can change all those other labels about yourself. You can change your name. You can change your shape. You can change anything these days. But you cannot change the fact that you are timeless, ever-present beingness. And there being no place where beingness is not, ever-present beingness implies what it implies. And that is that it's formless oneness. There are not two ever-present beingnesses. <laughs> beingness ever-present is oneness. And while it is oneness, being ever-present beingness is never stuck. You know, people's eyes start to glaze over pretty readily sometimes when you start talking about beingness, right? I mean, you're talking to friends. Let me, let me have you, give you a little chat here about beingness. And they sit there and they look at you and she's in this, if you just kind of look inside yourself, you know what beingness is. And they, they start, eyes start to cross and they just sort of like sink into themselves and drop off your attention radar. So it's not a very easy idea to take from being just a word to something that you can embrace as an understanding or be embraced by as an understanding to being a dynamic active aspect of your practical consciousness. Not easy at all. It's like the other word we use, infinite, infinite beingness. You know, it's a word we use a lot. Infinite, sure, I know what infinite is. Just the way, you, just the way we phrase that sentence makes us suspect that maybe we don't know what infinite is. Because despite the fact that we may sling the word around in our translations and, and talk using the word infinite a great deal, it's pretty hard to avoid the idea somewhere somewhere down the line in one of your conversations or one of your third step translation arguments that you're not accidentally suggesting that infinite's great for what it is, as though it's somehow there, implying dimension or beginnings or endings or somewhere, somewhere infinite must probably come to an end only to be forced into the question, well, then what's beyond that? But infinite, or as Tom Charles was used to say, you think of a number, I can think of one higher. End of discussion. And it's something that's just go on forever and has no place where it started and no place that it ends. But it's not easy to convert this from being a word that you use to being an active aspect of working consciousness in its entirety. It takes a long time. Just as hard as the rock hard place position of believing that in the Judeo-Christian <coughs> ethic, that Jehovah said, I am the first and the last besides which there is none else. I am the first and the last besides which there is none else. And then turning right around and having to explain, then where did devils and where did the evil and where did the archangels all fit into this? 
Where did they come from and where do they belong in this picture? We come to Christmas time. I don't know about how you're celebrating or, or worshiping or whatever, but I, it's a time when things religious in nature or church-like in nature take up more of my time, either going to someone's service or visiting, that sort of thing. And sometimes when you get into discussions of ontology, it can get uh, a little touchy, doesn't have to, depending on who you're having the discussions with about the nature of religion and religious doctrine. And some of the questions that the ontologist inevitably has to run up against in dealing with his own growing understanding of what beingness, oneness, or God, if you will, means to him. Now, in the Prosperous, we kind of have the position traditionally that uh, Jesus, whether he was real or not, he might, you might as well consider him real. He's been a, a, an archetype symbol in the world for 2,500 years. So whether or not you want to argue all the things that he factually did in the Bible or not, we, we thought we consider him to be an, a master teacher influence in the collective consciousness of man, a master teacher. And the master teacher said, I am in the father and the father is in me and you are in me and I am in you. Well, this precludes multiplicity. It precludes opposites, good, bad, right, wrong. It's a, def it's a statement of oneness. To the extent that we understand that infinite beingness is living us and that this is not perceived as a matter of ego, we get somewhere. It's not a matter of ego. The infinite beingness is living us. Infinite being. Now, if you look at Tether, look at Al, look at Jay, and you say, there's beingness, you know, I don't know who would want that. <laughs> but infinite beingness manifest in that character we call Jesus Christ and manifest in others such as the Buddha or in concepts such as the Tao can be anyone's experience if you can be subsumed in the pursuit of the kind of discipline that leads to the realization that I am the first, I am the last besides which there is none else. And this and this alone is our identity. Therefore, it's necessary to fully realize the allness of beingness, the totality of beingness. And at the same time, forces us to realize that man or the man state is nothing, is not. ECM players, you recall the question that bumps around in your head after listening to Thane's lesson when he talks about the difference between is and is not and how key those words are to the way we think about things. So there's some effort required here in pondering these thoughts. And rather than just sing Christmas carols, we'll have to ponder them for just a little while longer here, but then we'll, then we'll do some singing. Realizing the beingness that's living us all means also realizing the nothingness of man 
or the nothingness of the human state, which is time and time again proven in history to shown itself to be false. You know, and it's a long step from the man who is clawing the ground with a stick to plant a seed to the man who is a regular commuter into space and back these days. Without beingness, man would be nothing. So what we need, especially in a time of massive misunderstanding and, and misinformation or fear of war or fear of terror, is to learn that the beingness that is being, the God that is living us, is never, cannot, cannot be caught in the realm of things or contingencies or conflicts, cannot be caught in limits or opposites or egos or time. And there isn't time for us to just work in areas that are superficial. The work of every individual needs to be understand what real fundamentalism is. And by that, I mean to be possessed by, lived by truth. Because only such a one or such ones as are pursuing this can pass through the kinds of things we'll be going through yet before we're done with our work on this planet, on this species. Only a knower of truth, one who has lived by beingness, will be able to pass through untouched, or as Lanyon said, without the smell of fire. Now, truth cannot be taken away from, cannot be lured away from through misinformation or talk, 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 cannot be taken away from one who has come to that place where he or she has seen face to face, that is, has been subsumed by the beingness that animates. Not come to knowledge of it by touch or feel or intellect or smell or sight. Although the essence of intellect, the essence of touch and smell and sight, these capacities know the truth. It's the unknowable. It is unknowable by these means. You can know an idea about the truth, a relative version of the truth. You can do that with your intellect which is where most of us are most of the time. We have very strong intellects. We can be working on RHS and going to an RHS and we can psychoanalyze everybody in the RHS and come out not one bit more released than we were when we went in. <laughs> I've done it, you have too, probably. You can do that with your intellect, but only face to face can truth be known. And ego, no matter how elevated, can't do it. Ego cannot coexist with the true identity. Ego cannot coexist with the true identity. Beingness is. Ego is not. One who has reached that place of knowing that he or she is being this manifest is naturally an exemplifier of truth, an exemplifier of an elevated consciousness. I was reading to him in the Tao Te Ching, Lao Tzu's wonderful treatise to my class the other day. And I came across this passage in Stephen Mitchell's translation. Empty your mind of all thoughts. Let your heart be at peace. Watch the turmoil of beings, but contemplate their return. 
Each separate being in the universe returns to the common source. Returning to the source is serenity. If you don't realize the source, you stumble in confusion and sorrow. When you realize where you come from, you naturally become tolerant, disinterested, amused, kind-hearted as a grandmother, dignified as a king. I like that. Kind-hearted as a grandmother, amused. Immersed in the wonder of the Tao or beingness, you can deal with whatever life brings you. And your touch can heal. Understanding that he is the living truth, beingness. He does not abuse this life or its laws. You can handle anything that comes to you in this life. Does not misuse them. Neither is he upset or oppressed by the things that others living in this relative state are upset by. Unhindered, he is in the world, but not of it. Playing whatever roles are required, knowing those roles are no more real than Kevin Costner strapping on a gun belt, playing his role as a sheriff before he goes back into the dressing trailer, takes off his makeup, changes into his street clothes, gets on his bike and rides home. Grounded in beingness, not disturbed by the role playing, not disturbed by the noises of the man's state. He who understands truth's vision is unbound by perceptions of the third dimensional world. None of that is stable. Yet for one who has indeed learned the truth, there is no lack in his or her existence. And his filters are objectively clear. There is no sense of opposites of good or evil or separateness in his vision. The teaching, which has been around a long time, that, that the human race is somehow a race with separate minds that capable of knowing some great big choice between good and evil is actually evil itself. It's a phony teaching, always has been phony. It isn't so and it never was so. And it doesn't matter whether most people are living that out as doesn't matter one bit because this idea this idea of choosing between the great good and the great evil is a cause of every misery and grief and every hatred of war every injustice against each other in, in our society that has come down the pike and there are some days when you come out of a translation or you just get up from your meditation and you say we should know better than this we should be doing better than this. And it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. The answers are not easy to come by sometimes. But we have to find a way to undo this. The cause of every misery and grief, every hatred, every war, every injustice that we experience. And it's a figment of nothingness that's responsible for this erroneous, faulty assumptions about ourselves. When we understand that life, isness, beingness, God, not an anthropomorphic God that sits outside over and above his creation, 
when we understand that there is but one life and one being, that we are alive with that being, when we see that there is no human situation, we understand that we are divine. Divinity is our only identity. Divinity is our only identity. We do not have a separate mind. There is one mind present. That mind is infinite intelligence, infinite being, infinite quantum possibilities at every moment, at every place, at every time. And it is the mind that is saying these words right now. And it is the mind that is hearing these words right now. Today is the holiest day. There is no other. It is the mind, the idea of an almighty God or an almighty Satan in eternal conflict, in eternal con contention, has brought us to a bad place. And Thane has told the story before of the analogy in the Bible of how this all got started, where a little talking serpent rose out of the mist that was covering the earth, approached the archetype Eve and chatted in her ear what she needed to know for the downfall of mankind. <laughs> and the little serpent chats and chats and chats and chats and chats all the way through the Genesis and the Old Testament and the New Testament, chats and chats and chats right up until becoming a big red dragon in the 12th chapter of Revelations, third verse. And by what authority? By what authority? The only authority that we accept for misinformation talk. And we hear it day in and day out on social media, on the television, on the radio. Talk. Talk. Whether, whether it's, if we accept it, the only, the only authority we accept it on is talk. Well, no matter how much talk is used, no matter how much talk goes on, it never changed the truth of you or of me or of anything. It never changed principle. Principle is so. And it doesn't matter how many people think otherwise or live otherwise. Talk has nothing to do that, with that which is, was ever, will be ever. Now, the finite me cannot see infinity, cannot understand infinite beingness, only infinity and me can see infinity. So personal notions, pride, position, erudition, level of office, come to nothing in truth. You must unlearn or bypass these ideas, these ideas of ego, ideas of material, dimensional, comparable, weighable, testable, measurable ideas about yourself. If you are to behold what you spiritually are right now and always will be, because no matter how intelligent or ignorant, no matter how, to, no matter how worthy or unworthy, no matter how healthy or unhealthy, rich or poor, you think you are as a member of a human race, it isn't so. Understand and turn aside from myth. There is one life, one beingness, 
expressing now as you, as you, as you, as me, as you, one beingness, expressing now, expressing eternally. It is the same life in all. Infinite being is one. Beingness that pressed humanity into existence and put a divine spark of itself in every expression that it pressed out. And this is what we're after. The discovery that can only come when we maneuver ourselves counter to the traditions we find ourselves in. When you do discover this, you have a deep humility rather than an exalted attitude. And this comes with a sense of gratitude. And it comes with a sense of profound and deep love for everyone, including the people that piss you off the most. A profound and deep kind of love doesn't mean you have to jump on board and applaud their bad behavior, but you do have to love them. Because when you do discover this, this deep humility and the deep gratitude, then personal glorification or self-righteousness, for God's sake, is never justified in the mind of such an individual who realizes that his ability to adapt is the key, not self-exploitation in the ordinary sense, but rather that the knower of reality is unconcerned about laurels and ordinary success because the knower of reality knows that there is a perfect state existing under and back of the universe of time, space, and change, and it is present now, everywhere. Seize the day, because today is the holiest day. Assume what you are. Divinity expressing. You and 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 you, oneness expressing, full of divine spark. Full of the happiness of holidays. Thank you. <laughs>